pray. Dear Heavenly Father, once again, we come before you on a Sunday morning, and Lord, we want to just say thank you for allowing us to assemble together in your name. We thank you for each one that is here today, and Lord, we're thankful that your word has the answers to our life. Lord, we ask that you would give us the ability to worship you in song and in special and Lord, most of all, when it comes to the preaching, that would be I would be able to present the word clearly, but more important, the Holy Spirit would give each heart the ability to hear and understand your word. We ask that you would be glorified in all that is said and done here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Please remain standing. Unto our life that pertains unto godliness... We will have, the, is given to us through knowing, through the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so the last several uh, Sunday mornings, with the exceptions of special preachers and being out of town and things, uh, it, it seems like this uh, series has been a little more disjointed than many of them, but I trust we can follow the pattern is... Jesus is the Creator. We started with that. And if we want to know about Jesus, who He is, as our Creator, He has the right to do some and to say some things. Could we say amen? He has the right to determine the difference between what is right and what is wrong. And we as created beings do not have the right or the privilege to instruct Jesus or try to redefine who He is and what is going on. And we see Jesus showing up before Bethlehem's manger, making what we call pre-incarnate appearances, though that phraseology is not quite correct because He had a physical body when He came. As He stood before Abraham and affirmed to him the promise that God had made, that he would have a son, that Isaac would be born. We, we find something here. And this is through, and we're going to, it's going to be over again today. Jesus is intimately concerned with the fulfilling of his word. Jesus is absolutely consumed with what goes on, what is said in the pages of this book. He left heaven's glory. He appeared as a man to Abraham to remind him and to tell him that the promise was going to be fulfilled God's way in God's time. I also hope you never forget the second half of that chapter where God stands there and explains to Abram his name had not yet been changed to Abraham, what was going to happen to the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and gave Abram a chance to pray, to intercede on behalf. Jesus came down personally for those two, uh, 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 to accomplish those two tasks because God is interested in prayer and he's interested in his word. Are, are we together? He is the Creator. He also uh, came down as Joshua was going into the land of Canaan to fulfill the promise that he had made to the children of Israel. Jesus also appeared at the fiery furnace to humble Nebuchadnezzar 
and to untie his servants that had been thrown into the flames because they would not obey. Last Sunday morning, we went through the book of Hebrews. And we, uh, not the whole book, of course, just, but the testimony of Jesus Christ, how that he is the greatest revelation that God has given to mankind. His person. We're going through the stories of Jesus uh, the last week right now in our Sunday school time. And, and I just never fail to uh, take a breath and think of the foolishness of the scribes and the Pharisees and the chief priests. They were going to entangle Jesus in his talk. Uh, boy, we, we live in a day where people love to do that. Do we not? And, and everybody has got some hidden agenda, and they're trying. And, and, and if you're here on the next several Sunday mornings, you're going to see Jesus just literally slice through all of the entrapments. And the Pharisees are just standing there with their thumbs in their mouths trying to figure out what in the world just happened to me. How come I'm the one that always ends up looking stupid when I try to trick Jesus? Uh, when we word it like that, does anybody have a problem seeing how easily that would happen? If you're, if you're trying to entrap and snare Jesus in his words, who's going to end up playing the part of the fool? Not going to be the Lord Jesus Christ, amen? And so, uh, uh, Jesus is the greatest testimony of God's love for us. Now, several years ago... My my mother passed away, and we had to go clean out the house, and my brother came up to me with a box. And he said, Pete, he said, I don't think I want these. He says, you can have them. They were my dad and mother's correspondence before they got married. They they were their love letters to each other. And uh, I'll tell you what, I learned some things about my parents that I never knew. Uh, reading those letters, and say, what did you do with them? Um, I think my wife and I decided that probably the best thing to do would be just to uh, put those away somewhere where nobody else would find them. And, uh, but it, it was really interesting because uh, you, uh, you learn about what goes on in a person's heart and mind. And my counsel has been to all of my children and to anyone who will listen as they prepare for marriage is you need to find out how each other feel about things before you find out how each other feel. Amen? Uh, I like plays on words. Uh, you need to keep your hands off of each other until you can figure out what's going on in each other's heart and mind. Otherwise, you have no ability to build a real strong relationship. And... Uh, the, 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 the truth here is, if we want to know about Jesus, we study Him in His Word. And in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, I want you to turn there. Revelation chapter 2 and 3, just a few pages toward the end of your Bible there. You got First John, Second, Third, Second, Third John, Jude, and then the Book of Revelation, Revelation chapter two. What I've really called this this sermon this morning is love letters to his churches. 
Jesus was writing to his churches. He had ascended into heaven. The book of Revelation comes somewhere in the neighborhood of 100 A.D. It has been close to 70 years since Jesus has walked the face of this earth. Uh, John believed that Jesus was returning in his lifetime. The Apostle Paul, who by this time had been dead for 30 years, uh, believed that Jesus was returning in his lifetime. And I'll tell you what, we believe Jesus is returning in our lifetime. But if he doesn't, we'll still follow the Word of God. Amen? Jesus can come at any time. And he is writing letters to his churches. And if you will remember and understand, the church is the bride of Christ. And so as we look here at these things, we're gonna, we're gonna see some things that Jesus is concerned about. We're gonna, we're gonna learn, if we would, what is really important to Jesus. How he feels about things. Now see, in a, in a relationship, if you really care about somebody, don't you want to know how they think and how they feel about things? I probably tell this story too often, but it's just so perfectly an illustration. Is It was their 30th or 40th wedding anniversary, and the man carefully, years ago, the home-baked bread cut off the crust of the bread and toasted it gently and buttered it and put it before his wife and she burst out into tears. She says, 30 years of marriage, of serving you and you still give me the heel of the bread. And his mouth dropped wide open and he said, no, in our home, the first slice of bread was the crown of the bread. Uh, it was given to the person of honor. My father always got the first slice uh, of bread. It's the best piece of bread. Now, how many of you love the crust? Uh, that is your favorite piece. Okay, we got a few like me out there. Every, everybody else, you throw the crust into the bottom and use it for Thanksgiving stuffing if it makes it that long, right? Uh, but what we had here is we had a lack of communication, did we not? We, we had a lack of understanding of how people thought about things and what was important, what, was, what he was doing as a means of hoping to honor his wife, she took as an insult. Now, let me ask you a question. Is it possible for us to do that to the Lord Jesus Christ? Hello? Go like this. Because it is. And see, if we want that which pertains unto life and godliness, we need to know about Jesus. We need to know what is important to Him. Oftentimes, in, in, as I'm going through a message, I'll bring up some practice that people are, are doing now in the name of Jesus. And, and we will condemn that very strongly because it's an offense to God. But I do want you to understand that not everyone who participates in this thing is doing so out of a purposeful desire to offend God. 
most of them are trying to worship God. I remember meeting a young lady years ago, and, and she said, Listen, when I open my soul, heavy metal music comes out. So I'm going to give that to God. And I had to tell her, I said, You, you need to understand something. There's something wrong with your soul. Because heavy metal rock and roll music belongs to the devil. Would anyone want to argue that with me? You'll lose. I promise you. You cannot argue that that kind of music is pleasing to God. You see, we deceive ourselves. And sometimes we do things that are extremely offensive to our Lord and our Savior. If you're going to know about Jesus, you've got to get to know Him. Amen? And one of the best ways, as I was going through to prepare this sermon, I'm sitting here going, wow, just look at these things. I, I wish I had uh, time to spend a whole week on each letter, but I, I don't feel inclined to do that. I want us to, to, to move through this today, and, and hopefully we'll get through all seven letters here. But we start in Revelation chapter 2, verse 1. It says, Unto the angel of the church at Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Even as Jesus introduces himself, he, he says that I hold the seven stars in my right hand. Now, if we understand the Scriptures correctly, we believe we do those seven stars are the pastors of those churches. The Bible here in the book of Revelation uses the word angel. And that simply means messenger. It is talking about God's messenger to His church. We do not have some angel sitting in the office over there and we go to the angel and say, now what do I preach on Sunday? Uh, Sometimes I wish that were the case. It would make it a lot easier on me. But that's not the way it works. God has given us this book called the Bible, and the preacher has to go to the Bible and to God to get the message. But what does Jesus say as he introduces himself? I have those seven messengers right here in my hand. And I walk in the midst of the candlesticks. The candlesticks are the churches. Jesus is interested in what goes on in his church. Can we say amen to that? He is concerned and he took time to write these seven letters. And and we're just going to go through them in a very summary fashion this morning. But if you're familiar with the letters to the churches at all, what is the famous part of the church to the letter at Ephesus is we come down here to verse 4, nevertheless... I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Now, wow. You know, sometimes even in a marriage that happens, does it not? I like the story. How many of you remember the old cars that had one big seat that went all the way across the front? I I miss those cars. When we first got married, we had a, a pickup truck that was our use, and it was a one big seat all the way across the front. My wife could just 
sit right next to me when I was driving. Oh, that was so much fun. You can't do that in a van. There's a great big hole in the middle there. And, uh, but, and most cars are the same way today. But this was a story from back in the days when the cars had just one seat across the front and uh, the wife was looking at the husband and said, you know, when we were first married, we used to sit right next to each other. And said, now we don't sit. Uh, uh, I'm over here on this side of the car and you're on that side of the car. And he just looked over and said, I haven't moved. I'm still behind the steering wheel. You see, sometimes it's easy for us. You read the letter to the church of Ephesus. They were doing all the right things. They were very careful. Jesus mentions the fact that this church uh, uh, tested the preachers that came and called themselves apostles and, and, and proved that they were not true teachers of God's Word and was very careful about their doctrine and they labored and they didn't faint. But Jesus said, listen, I haven't moved, but you have. You're doing the right things, but it's not all for the right reason. You know, we love Him because He what? First loved us. That's First John chapter 4. You know what? It's easy for us to forget that. Jesus, in his letter to the first church here, said, don't forget that first love. How many of you remember the day you got saved? The relief of realizing I'm not on my way to hell anymore. I don't have to do enough good works to please God anymore. I'm not trying to earn my salvation. Jesus has paid it all. How many of you remember that day? You, you want me to tell you something? You need to keep remembering that day. Or you'll lose your first love. And you'll do what you're supposed to do just because you're supposed to do it. And you'll be offensive to the love of our Savior. You know what makes a marriage so sweet? is when both husband and wife want to be there. Amen? My little joke I often say, home is where they have to let you in. But that ought not be so now, should it? It ought to be the place where, the, where you are welcomed in. It ought to be a place and, and where love is. And Jesus explained to this church at Ephesus... He said, you got to, verse 5, Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Now that's pretty serious. I was took a class in church history several years ago, and, and the professor had a very interesting way of, of wording things here. And what he was saying was, really what we need to understand is, there is a church history of candlestick churches, true churches, and a church history of non-candlestick churches. So, wow, that puts things 
really in perspective the way they ought to be. Because Jesus was telling the church at Ephesus here, if you don't straighten this out, you're going to cease being one of my churches. Does that mean the building would fall in and, and uh, kill all the people in there and, and the building? No. Church isn't a building. Church is the people. But what gives the church its life is the personal presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when that goes out, hey, everything else can keep on going. But it's not a candlestick church because the light of the Lord Jesus Christ is not being given. And I'm sad to say there are many churches that that has happened to. But as we read this letter of Jesus to His church, what's He doing? He's saying, I am here and we're going to keep this relationship the way it ought to be. I'm not going to allow this relationship between you and I to devolve into a matter of duty. Sometimes husbands and wives, as they're married, they just do what they do because they have to do it. I got to go pay the bills, so I'm going to go to work. I got to take care of the kids. So, And then 25, 30 years into their marriage, all the kids are gone and they find out that they have nothing left. That's why we have a divorce rate going up in, in marriages that have that are older now. You know what the cure is? Don't leave your first love. Keep doing the things that you did to win each other. And you know, in a church, do you remember what it took to get you saved? Hello? Let's keep serving God with that in mind. Do you think that would help me attain unto life and godliness serving the Lord Jesus Christ? I'll tell you, it will. And it will make you enjoy the trip as well. Amen? Uh, If we're going to learn about Jesus, let's read these letters to the churches. Now look at uh, this next church starting in verse 10. I'm not verse 10. I'm sorry here. Uh, verse 8, And unto the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things saith the first and last, which was dead and is alive. I know thy works in tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich, and I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. Now, those of you that have been married for more than ten years, let's say, has everything just been smooth and absolutely perfect? And this is a warning to those that haven't been. There, there's going to be some bumps in the road along the way. Uh, there, there are going to be some tough times. If you're not, uh, uh, one preacher said it this way. He said, how many of you are going through a trial right now? And a bunch of hands went up. And he says, I got encouragement for the rest of you. If you're not now, it's coming. 
And, uh, and that is the truth, is it not? Life is not an absence of difficulties. It's the power of God to get through them. And you know what he's telling the church at Smyrna here? You're going through tribulation. You're going through difficult. You're going to have persecution ten days. Now, I'll tell you what. I wouldn't want to have persecution ten days, but I, I will tell you this. Ten days is not ten years. Amen? It's not ten months. People have tried to read uh, a lot into this passage, and they try to make these letters church ages and all kinds of mystical hidden things. What Jesus is telling the church is, hey, it's not going to be over in an instant. You're going to have to go through some difficult times, but there will come an end, and I'm going to be waiting for you on the other side. Jesus is saying, I'm going to keep you going if you'll just trust in me. I will bring you through it. You know, I was talking to Brother Nil, and uh, he's actually preaching in uh, Community Baptist Church in Riverhead today. Hopefully, where our prayer is, pray with me that God will make a match there, and, and that that church would get a pastor and be able to get back on its feet again. But uh, but as I was telling him, I said I, I've met a lot of people over the years, and and they'll serve Christ, but then they got a line drawn. I, I've given it. I remember. Listening to a preacher tell me, he said, well, I've I've done everything I could. I can't do anymore. I'm going to leave. And and my first thought has always been, since when his ministry depended upon what you can do, sir? It's supposed to be dependent upon what Jesus can do. Can we say amen to that? When is living the Christian life up to you? Jesus puts things in our life to test us, to try us, to to mold us, to conform us to the image of His Son. You know what He's telling the church at Smyrna? He said, my plan is so important that even though you have to go through some suffering, I promise you I'm going to bring you through it. You know what that sounds like an awful lot to me? Raising children. Hello? You know, if you really want to do a good job raising your children, how else do you put this? They're going to suffer. Amen? Because they're going to want to do things that are very bad, and you've got to stop them. You have to teach a little child. You know, they have all these things. You can buy them. You know, you can put corners on all your tables and rubber corners on all the tables. You can put plugs in all the outlets and you can put locks on all the drawers and all the cabinets and and, and codes in all the remotes. And I mean, you can child-proof your home. Or take the hard way out. Teach them not to play with knives. So that you can trust them when the doors drawers unlocked. Amen. Teach them not to stick their finger in the electrical sockets. How many of you have ever done that? I mean, most of us have at one point or another. 
uh, it, it just one good lesson uh, will 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 usually suffice, and you don't have to put your child in danger to do it. We're not talking about abusing children. Oh, you get so angry at people who think discipline is abuse when it's actually the opposite. You want to abuse your kid, let them do anything they want. That is the worst type of child abuse there is. Because when they grow up, they don't know how to live. Listen, Jesus was telling the church at Smyrna, you're going through some difficult times, but I'm going to be there to bring you through. Isn't that a wonderful thought? If you've not been through difficult times serving Christ, it's just because you haven't served Him long enough yet. It will come. But let's go on to Pergamos in verse 12 of chapter 2. And Jesus, as He's writing this letter, says, And to the angel of the church in Pergamos writes, These things saith he which hath the sharp sword with the two edges, talking about the Word of God. I know thy works, where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. And thou holdest fast my name, and hast not denied my faith, even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you, where Satan dwelleth. But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast them there that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. So thou hast also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. You know what the church in Pergamos had done? They had allowed false doctrine and other things to come into the church, which Jesus had never allowed. They had not been true to the Word of God. And I I do want to put this understanding in there. The church here at, at Pergamos was receiving the book of Revelation, they did not have a complete Bible as we do today. We have far less excuse than they do. But the doctrine of Balaam, if you remember Balaam, he could not curse the children of Israel on the payroll of Balak, king of Moab. And so what he did was he instructed the king of Moab to entice the children of Israel into false worship. What is the clarion call of our day? Oh, we all just need to get together. You know, we all serve the same God. We we all love Jesus. Uh, Excuse me, that's not true. We don't all serve the same Jesus. There are many Jesuses out there in this world. And we don't have time, but if you want to study, uh, if you want to see that illustrated, just study what they say about the different Jesuses of the different religions. Jesus of the Bible cared so much about your sins that he died on the cross to pay for each and every one of them. So how could that same Jesus then say, oh, you just do the best you can and we'll sweep them under the carpet? 
Huh? That's, those are different people, my friend. Or how could we talk to a Jesus who said it is finished on the cross, that all the work of salvation is finished, and you go up and say, well, listen, if you'll just follow this set of rules, maybe one day you'll be good enough to get to heaven. Well, then what did it is finished on the cross mean? If Jesus didn't pay for all, if Jesus didn't finish the work, why did he say the words? He said the words because he did finish the work. We don't want a uniting of all religions. That will be the job of Antichrist, not Jesus Christ, my friend. Yet today we have all of these things that are out there. And here's something we need to understand, because this is part of our day in which we live. Is You look at the beginning of this letter, Jesus lists a lot of good things that were going on in Pergamos. The fact that they lived in, in uh, such a wicked place that Jesus called it the seat of Satan. I mean, how much worse than New York City could you get than that? Hello? I mean, this is the place where Satan sits. His throne room is is where uh, is what Paul was referring to as the city of Pergamos. And he said, "You held fast my name. You've not denied my faith, but you've allowed the doctrine of Balaam in the church—an idea that we can hold hands with the world." And the Nicolaitans. And you'll get so many different varieties here, but the simplest idea here is with the Nicolaitans is that they were making two classes of Christians. The regular Christians and those who were leaders. You know what? You're not going to find that in the Bible. The Bible says we're members of the same body. Now, your heart is very important. But if it didn't have a set of lungs to pump the blood to, it wouldn't matter how good the shape your heart is in. Now, would it? And actually, if your liver wasn't there to control everything and keep your blood clean and do all of that, it wouldn't matter how much blood your heart pumped because you'd be dead anyway. You can't go through your body and start talking about which part is more important, except for one. That's your brain. And who's the head of the church? Jesus is. Amen? So, we're not arguing about importance here. But what the Nicolaitans did was they tried to introduce a priesthood into the church when every believer is supposed to be Directly responsible to Jesus Christ. Can we say amen to that? We need to be careful. Because it comes up in many ways. There are people that will say, well, listen. I don't need to be a fanatic like Pastor is. I'll, I'll just be. Doctrine of the Nicolaitans, my friend. There's no two standards. We're supposed to serve the Lord together. And Jesus took time to address that issue because 
It was the most important, even though there were good things going on. We live in a day and time where it says, well, listen, you showed up for class and you're here and your eyes are open. So it doesn't matter if you get every question on your test wrong, we're going to pass you. It goes on in schools. You know what we call that? Foolishness. Because it doesn't matter the good you do if you're not, if you're doing wrong, we got to deal with the wrong. You know, in a real love relationship, you're able to take care of things that are wrong. And that's what Jesus is doing to his church here. And he's saying, you've got to get rid of these things. Because they will hinder me working in the church. They will hinder your relationship with me if you're allowing other influences. That's one of the reasons we've got to be so careful about our entertainment. I'll, I'll tell you, you want to destroy your marriage. All you've got to do is start watching these, uh, what do they call them, chick flicks? Uh, uh, about how that... He likes her and she hates him and then she hates him and he likes her and then at the end of the movie, they both like you. I'm not talking about dirty movies here. I'm talking about these ones that people watch and they go, oh, all you need is a little injection of Hollywood love and it will destroy what Jesus wants to do in your marriage. Isn't that true? If it is, say Amen. If you really, if I just bashed your most favorite movie, you need to say, oh me, and come down here and confess it. You Got Mail is, my daughters tried to describe that to me. I said, that is so, oh my goodness. That is not going to help you find what God has in this book called the Bible. And ladies, I'm sorry if you're trying to be a princess the knight in shining armor is going to have work boots on. It's just not going to work. What we need is reality, not fantasy. That's what will get you through life. Are we still together here? We're not halfway through yet. Now look at Thyatira, the last one in verse, uh, in chapter 2, in one of the longest letters, because they had the most problems. We, we come here to verse 20, it says, Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants, to commit fornication, to eat things sacrificed unto idols. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. And I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins and the hearts and I will give unto every one of you according to your works. But unto you I say, and unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, 
and which have not known the depths of Satan as they speak, I will put upon you none other burden, but that which ye have already hold fast till I come. Jesus was harsh. He said they had works, they had charity, they had service, they had more now than they did when they started. But then he goes on to describe what is called the depths of Satan. And you'll find out. You don't need to go to a nightclub or a dirty bookstore or whatever to find the depths of Satan. Where Satan does his greatest work is when he's able to come and stand behind a pulpit and hold a Bible and teach things that aren't in it. That's where Satan does his greatest work. And let me tell you, it happens all over this world. Jezebel is not a pleasant word. It is never, ever used positively in the Scriptures. And, of course, this is figuratively speaking here. But you know what this is telling us? Doctrinal purity is important to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why I preach on doctrine on a regular basis. That's why we talk about what the Bible says and what it doesn't say. Because it was so important to Jesus that he soundly condemned this church and promised death and destruction to those people who were in the church and were using the church as a basis to teach false doctrine. Uh, I'll tell you, several years ago, we had some people that wanted to visit our church and And I've learned over the years, if somebody calls up and says, Pastor, I'd like to counsel with you, uh, I I first say, listen, if you'll come to a service first and sit through uh, my preaching, then you'll have a better idea whether you really want me to talk to you or not. And and I, I found that the people who have their own agenda usually just disappear at that point. But they came and they presented me with a notebook and said, we're, we're here to offer Sunday school material. And I said, really? I said, why? And said, well, uh, it's just the best Sunday school material there is and we just want you to make it available free to your church. And I'm sitting here going, okay, there's a hook somewhere. So I looked through there. And I get to the last page, on the back of the last page in little print, printed by the Unification Church of New York. How many of you know who that was? The Reverend Sung Young Looney Kazuni Moon. I mean, you talk about someone full of nonsense and evil. You see... He can't get people to come to his church because people know about him. He's dead now. And if you think he was crazy, well, don't read the story about his son. But his his son is 
absolutely nuts. They all come to church holding AK-47s and AR-15s because they're going to protect themselves. I'll tell you what, I am so glad Jesus doesn't need my protection. Amen? He protects me. It's the other way around. And what he's trying to tell his church here is that you cannot allow false doctrine in the church. The church is a place to teach the truth. Nothing but the Word of God. And that's why we give out references and and allow you to study the Bible and make sure what was going on. And he tells this church, even though you've had some problems, you hold fast till I come. You know what? That gives me hope for Union Baptist Church. Because they did just about everything wrong that a church could possibly do. If I wanted to write a textbook on church failure and how to accomplish it thoroughly, all I do is go through the history of the Union Baptist Church. And they didn't intend to end up that way. But praise God, three years ago, they surrendered that organization and come back. And you know what? We have their doctrinal statement printed in 1900. We didn't have to change a thing because they were right in 1900. They were right in 1847 when they started. But they had gotten out of the way. And now the Lord's restoring things. He said, you hold fast till I come. You don't have to lose everything serving me. Aren't you glad God is in the sin-forgiving business? Aren't you glad that God gives us another chance to keep serving Him? Someone said, how long... Uh, how long will God keep giving me another chance? Well, when He's done giving you another chance, you won't have any questions about it because you'll be dead in an eternity. So as long as you're standing upright and breathing, hey, God is willing to do business with you. Can we say amen to that? Isn't it wonderful to know how patient God is? We learn these things reading in the letters here. If this had been one of us, we might rightly say, I'm done with you. But God didn't. He said, you hold fast. Because when I come, I'm going to reward those that are faithful to me and to my word. Now we get to the church at Sardis. And this is the church that was dead. But look what he says here. And verse 5, He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He says in verse 1, That thou hast the name that livest and art dead. I don't know that there's any stronger condemnation that Jesus can give to a church than that. But you know what he says? You can't lose your salvation. You say, well, why does it say blot thy name out? Because the simplest and the most consistent biblical understanding of that is in the book of life. Every name is written of every person who has ever lived. And when you die without Christ, your name is taken out of the book or blotted out of the book. 
You see, we believe God can save anyone no matter what. But you have to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ in order to be saved. And you can't lose your salvation because Jesus is the one that paid for it. Aren't you glad about that? Even in the failure of this church, Jesus reminds them, there's still hope for you in coming out on the right side of eternity if you will follow me and do what I say. And we get to the church at Philadelphia here, and if you want to know where we got the name for our church, where I actually I got the name for our church was right here in verse 8. It says, I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Since day one of this church, over 26 years ago now, that has been my prayer for the Open Door Bible Baptist Church. And, and I just love the fact that the Lord gave us three doors out there. And we open them and people come in. Because I'm such a great preacher. Well, there's part of me wishes that were true, but it's not. But we have a great Savior. And we have a great Word. And we have a great purpose. And we need to serve the Savior who has given us that open door. Can we say amen to that? You see, Jesus is concerned about getting his work done. And he will use even those that have a little strength if we'll just hold on to his word and not deny his name. Now, we look at the last church, the church at Laodicea. You know what was important to Jesus about this church? They were careless in their attitude. He said, you're not cold. You're not hot. He said, you're lukewarm. How many of you have ever picked up a cup of coffee that you had gotten and it was good and hot, especially when I'm driving? Oh, man, it's dangerous sometimes. Driving down to pick up and I still feel a little bit of heat in the cup itself. and Sitting there going, man, I just need another cup. And I... And it is like, not cold, but it's not warm. It just barf. Uh, you can actually be dangerous driving down the road like that. So I've learned to take a little sip because Laodicea makes you sick now, doesn't it? And the Lord Jesus Christ is telling this church. He said, I wish you could be something, but being nothing is worse. And yet, isn't that what we're told today, the best thing you can be? Oh, you just need to get along. you got to stop being so hard-nosed and, and so straight on the Bible. We, we can all negotiate this. You cannot negotiate truth, my friend. Jesus said, if you care about the things that I care about... You're not going to be careless with the Word of God. 
You're not going to be careless with your music. You're not going to be careless with the way you behave when you're out of church and in church. We ought to have one life for the Lord Jesus Christ. Can we say amen to that? And we end this letter here. Look at verse 19. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and then sat down with my father in his throne. That's the summary of the letters to the churches. Jesus tells the church at Laodicea, you need to buy some ISAB so you can see. You want me to tell you where God's medicine cabinet is? It's right here. It's the gospel. Amen. This will solve the problems. This will allow you to see clearly. How many would give a testimony and say, Pastor, when I first got saved, I thought some things about this church were a little crazy, but God really helped me understand that we're, we're on the right path. How many give a testimony to that? Okay, we got a few there. You see, this book will allow you to see. This book will clothe you properly so when you stand before Christ, you don't have to be embarrassed or offensive to Him. He wants to have fellowship with us. One thing we have tried to do, and I, I appreciate this so much with my wife, is we have worked hard to have a dinner table. In fact, if you've been in our apartment, that's about all the furniture we have in our living room. Uh, because by the time you get every run around the table, it's so big there's no room for nothing else. But the point is, it does something for a family to sit around the table. Isn't that what Jesus is talking? He said, I will come in and sup with them and If you can sit down and enjoy a good meal with another person, is that not a sign of affection and friendship? It is. And Jesus says, listen, don't leave that first love. Don't let other influences come into your relationship. I'm going to keep you through the time that is trouble. I'm going to make sure that even though some things cannot be fixed, there are wrongs that happen. I'm never going to leave thee nor forsake thee. Even to the church that was dead, he said, There are still people in that church that have not turned their back on me and you're going to be with me. I'm not going to blot your name out because you are saved. When Jesus saves us, He gives us an eternal salvation. To the church at Philadelphia, He says, you're not depending on you, you're dependent on me. He says, I'm going to give you an open door and nobody's going to close it because I'm the one that opened that door. Into the church at Laodicea, he says, you got to get this fixed. 
because I want to sit down and I want to sup with you and I want you to sup with me. I want the fellowship to be going both ways. How many of you have ever been in a place where someone else just controlled everything and you were just sitting there like a little puppet doing what they said? I'll tell you, I've been a couple of times in my life in a situation like that. It was not anything that I enjoyed. And I'll tell you, the Lord has allowed me to sit down and enjoy some food with some what, what I would consider very important and influential people. Remember, last time we were there for the youth conference, I got to go out to lunch with Brother Davison and Brother Copes, uh, the executive vice president of the Bible College and now the president emeritus. And you know what we did? We sat down and ate uh, barbecue sandwiches and just talked like friends. It was great. That's what God wants to do with us. Could you imagine sitting down at a table with the Lord Jesus and having a one-on-one conversation? It says he's not ashamed to call us brethren. Now, how many would say, well, I'd be ashamed for Jesus to call me his brother or sister sometimes. I mean, my hand goes up. But he's not. Because he paid for every sin on the cross. And he loves us even when we don't return his love. But if we will return that love, we can enjoy fellowship with the creator God of the universe. Stop and think about that. I can walk with Jesus. I can have fellowship with him. And guess what? The most wonderful thing about going out to dinner with important people is they always pay the bill. Isn't that great? I mean, this is what Jesus is talking about here. He's saying he's standing at the door and he's knocking. And if we'll let him in, he's going to come in. He's going to take care of everything. I'll tell you what, he'll put on a whole better, lot better spread than you could ever afford or I could ever afford. Because his resources are unlimited. Amen? My prayer is, even though if you're familiar with the Bible, you know everything that we've talked about today. We've been through these letters even recently. But that you would just stop and think about the things that are important to Jesus. And take a moment. Take some time during this week. Review those letters. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. And say, how can I make myself, put myself in a better position to enjoy the fellowship with Jesus than I am right now? And all God's people said, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning.
Lord, my prayer is that we could see and understand just a little bit more about what is truly important to you. And Lord, that we would allow our behavior and our thought processes, our understanding of life to be altered and brought into agreement with you and your word. Lord, my prayer is if there be someone here today that has never settled the issue of salvation, that they would be willing to allow someone to take the Bible and open it up and show them how they could settle their eternity. Lord, we pray for others who have never been obedient in baptism and church membership, that they would surrender to you and your word. Lord, to those that have left their first love, that you would convict them of other of the defects that were talked about here, the problems. And Lord, our prayer is that we would not have one who would be careless in their understanding and their relationship to you. And Lord, if that should be that they would understand. And and Lord, come down to an old-fashioned altar and get on their face before a holy God and confess that lukewarmness and ask to be brought into that fellowship Lord, I pray not only for individuals, but for our church, that you would not have to knock. The door would be open. The table would be set. And Lord, you would regularly fellowship and give us what we need to serve you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. The hymn of invitation, only trust Him. If God has spoken to your heart, let's not sing, but just leave your seats as these have done and come down to the front here and let's let's do business with the Lord today. Let's leave here desiring that fellowship that He desires to have with us to be obedient to His Word.